0: Welcome back to Brazilian Politics, the podcast where three political analysts discuss all things Brazilian politics. We are glad to have you back for season three of the podcast. This week, we will look at the political scenario for 2020, perspectives and risks. This podcast is brought to you by Arco Advice, Brazil's leading political risk and public affairs firm. Now, before we move into discussions about risks and perspectives for 2020, I'd like to quickly take a look back at 2019, the first year of the Bolsonaro administration. Um, I'd like to start with a, a bit of an unorthodox question here, but if the first year of this government were a movie, what would the elevator pitch be? How would you describe it in 10 to 20 seconds? Who'd like to go first?
1: I'll start, Michael. Uh, I think critics hate it, but viewers kind of like it. Uh, there was a lot of controversy with the education, public policies, with the environment, a lot of narratives that were uh, very ill-perceived abroad, but a government that had to battle its lack of experience in dealing with Congress, a very independent Congress, and that had a strong uh, advance in its economic agenda, which was embraced by a good portion of society and by a larger, even portion of the Congress.
2: And Thiago? Well, I, I would start my pitch saying, in a distant galaxy far, far away in the country of Brazil, <laughs> the Minister of the Economy must, almost on his own, negotiate with a confused parliament on, on the approval of a very, very important reform for the country. And in the middle of that, all sort of crazy discussions about daily things and interpretations of the world.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I, have, a bit, I, I, I have a bit... I'd watch
1: that, I'd watch that movie for sure, Chad. <laughs> yeah, no for the question.
0: Um, I have a bit of a shorter one. It's more of a tagline than an elevator pitch, but I would say a controversial, uh, at times needlessly controversial, newcomers uh, with a solid economic plan that knowingly or not put their fate in the hands of Congress. Um, For this first episode of our third season, I'd like to uh, inaugurate a new segment here on the podcast, a segment called Rapid Fire. And in this segment, I'm going to list a few key achievements and developments from 2019 and I'd like to get a quick take from each of you on uh, each of these achievements or, or developments uh, from last year. Um, I think we can alternate. Uh, we let's start with Lucas and then Thiago. Sound good?
1: Sounds good. Michael. Sounds
2: perfect by me.
1: All
0: right. Number one, pension reform approved. Lucas,
1: the highlight of this government: eight hundred billion saved in ten years, which was double, which is double of what the previous administration of Tamer proposed and was unable to pass in Congress.
2: Thiago, disputes in the PSL? Well, expected since it's a new party that doesn't have a a very solid root around it. You have several types of individuals that use the party as a vehicle to become congressmen and to support the president. And they are very inexperienced politicians, despite having some individuals that have good intentions. All right, still on the subject of
0: Bolsonaro parties, the Aliança Brasil party is launched.
1: Very bold move, very risky move, a move that tries to strengthen the roots of the bolsonarismo in Brazil, but it won't be formally created in time for the municipal elections, and it also creates a bigger dent in the struggling allied base, if if there's any. Uh, in the National Congress.
0: Supreme Court trial on arrests following a higher court conviction.
2: Well, this is uh, interpretative. It's uh, a legal interpretation. It is bad for society. It is not what society expected. But within the the legal community, you will find some uh, explanations why this happened. And basically, it's the Supreme Court transferring the onus of changing this rule to the legislative.
1: Lula released from prison. Lula released from prison doesn't mean that he will be a candidate, he won't be a candidate, and it forces Lula and the PT to create another narrative for the party and for himself, given that Lula Livre, the Free Lula movement, is no longer adequate for the moment. So it's a moment of opportunity, but also a risk for the PT and for Lula trying to develop a new Narrative for its followers.
0: Reinforced autonomy for the legislative branch.
2: Well, I think this this was expected. Uh, in Brazil, the the Brazilian legislative uh, branch has is historically more powerful than any legislative branch in Latin America. And usually, what we see is that when the legislative branch identifies some confusion or inexperience in the executive, they take advantage of that. And this is precisely what happened. Changes to labor norms.
1: Uh, priority of this government under the Ministry of Economy to reduce red tape, reduce bureaucratization, but at the same time, uh, cultural traits of the Brazilian legislation to, to have this social agenda and that the government will have some difficulties. However, I do believe that the government will be able to advance Uh, in 2020 and 2021, in a more free market and entrepreneurial-friendly environment for those wanting to invest in Brazil and do business in Brazil.
2: Interest rates at historic lows. This is very good news. It's something that uh, has always been discussed in Brazil, but no one knew how to do it. Maybe the fear of inflation was always the ghost of inflation was always flying over the head of people. But once we have the low inflation for many, many years already, um, this government, mainly the Minister of Economy, Paulo Guedes, he had the guts to move forward with that. And this is a very important tool to attract investment and to generate growth in the economy. GDP growth,
0: expectations and
2: reality.
1: It's the temperature of the Brazilian economy. Although it doesn't mean that everyone will be, uh, you know, part of the economic growth, it is what moves the perception of growth in Brazil. We've had in the last re- in the recent years multiple cuts to the perceptions of growth in Brazil, and this is the first year where this perception change in a positive manner. So it attracts investors and it creates a consumer and business confidence to invest in the country, which is the key for development in Brazil.
0: Advances for the
2: investment partnerships program. This is key. This is key to the government and this is the main bridge to attract foreign investment to Brazil. The reforms were the the star uh, the, the star issues of twenty nineteen and in twenty twenty we might not have the same opportunity to advance Uh, in some reforms, although this is the expectation of the government. So uh, these partnerships, they are key for the government to obtain important victories that will resonate in the year.
0: Problematic environmental issues.
1: Bad press for the government abroad, a necessity to be addressed in the country, even if by a different narrative, because it does impact foreign money in Brazil, especially the older money from Europe, from pension funds. Uh, And it's something that has to be addressed because Brazil has a problem of the forest fires in the Amazon every year. And we cannot deal with bad press every, every year. Uh, So the government has to have a plan, a strategic plan to address uh, not only the problems, but also the narrative, narrative abroad.
0: And lastly, additional structural reforms sent to the
2: Senate. These structural reforms, they are part of the original agenda of the of the current Ministry of Economy. Uh, they are part of a bigger plan to try to modernize the Brazilian state. They're absolutely necessary. Of course, there are some controversial points in there. And uh, the government will have to be very skilled, more skilled than it was in 2019, because the pension reform was already... Uh, the seed of the pension reform was already planted in the Parliament and in society. These two other reforms is something that demands uh, deep negotiation and it will be a test for the government.
0: Thank you, guys. That concludes the first edition of our new segment, Rapid Fire. Um, Now, since uh, the last issue that we discussed concerns structural reforms, I'd like to uh, expand on that discussion. There are several reforms left over from 2019, like Chago said, a part of the government's original agenda. Um, And there are also some new ones that the government wants to see advance in 2020, uh, which will be a bit of a a special and and different year in terms of the potential for legislative production. Um, I'd like to hear from both of you on these new reforms. What are they and how likely are they to be approved next year?
1: Michael, there is a problem for next year's agenda. We have municipal elections, and as the Senator Eduardo Gomes, um, an important figure in Senate and also the leader uh, of the government, he he said a very interesting quote the other day at an event hosted by ARCO Advice where he said that in 2020, April is October, uh, meaning that the year is very short because of the municipal elections that will be hosted uh, in the in the third quarter or fourth quarter in October. Um, that said, the agenda is very promising, but the window of opportunities is extremely extremely short. I do not believe, honestly, that the government will be able to approve the three main reforms: the federative pact, the the agenda, the the reform uh, which extinguishes public funds, and the reform. Uh, can you, can you, someone please remind me the third reform? I got a the tax a, reform a blank here in my, in my. No, the tax reform is being hosted by, by the Congress.
0: It's. Uh, I, I think you're talking about the uh, constitutional amendment proposal on funds, on public funds.
1: No, there's three actually. I'm sorry. There's the funds which I've mentioned, the fiscal emergency one that regulates the golden rule and operations of credit so the government doesn't have to uh, have extra money from the Congress uh, to, to avoid the, the shutdown as it often happens in the U.S. And the Federative uh, Act. And the Federative pact. Yeah, exactly. Sorry about that for the viewers. Uh, the I think that there is no space to approve all uh, three reforms. And even, to be honest, I don't think there is space to approve any of the reforms in 2020. But the debate has to advance. If I had to say that one reform... Could advance quicker is the reform of the fiscal emergency because the government can't uh, have uh, what happened last year of needing extra credit, supplementary credit from the Congress uh, every year. However, given that the pension reform was approved and there's more breathing breathing space for the fiscal um, uh, area, there might be no need for extra credit, and this might reduce the priority of the the constitutional amendment for the emergency, fiscal emergency plan. That said, this doesn't mean that it will be wasted time. Brazil is a country of consensus and it it needs space to discuss agendas for it to advance. Look at the pension reform, for instance. It has been under discussion uh, for a long time. Tamer made it very mature. The candidates and Bolsonaro was very brave uh, to use it as a campaign item. Uh, And it was mature to be approved in this government after maybe a year and a half, two years of intense discussion, gaining energy. So I think 2020 will be a year where the government will have to gain energy over these debates. But I don't believe that there is enough space in the agenda to approve such reforms. However, if the government does something extraordinary, there might be space if the government goes into the playing field and and plays a, a, like they have never played before there's a chance but reality for me is that it will be a year of discussions not of not of conclusive ag- agendas
0: uh, thank you for that lucas thiago i'd like to ask you a follow-up on what lucas was saying if we can't expect reasonably to see these deep structural reforms approved in such a short window next year what should we expect to see uh, in terms of legislative production next year
2: well, Michael, uh, when the fact that we have an electoral year, particularly the municipal elections, is something that really moves the the attention and the the time of the congressman. So this is a year that the expectation is for her, for us to have approximately 120 days of activity in the year. Uh, the, the, the action and, and, and the behavior of the congressman in relation to the municipal elections is key because the municipal elections is what uh, opens to them the possibility of expanding or reassuring their zones of influence. Consequently, the president must have, the executive must have a cautious relationship with the parliament Because at the same time, the the president wants to, through the parliamentarians, through the members of the Congress, to also reinforce their zones of influence in geographies of the country, looking at 2022. So what we will see is a lot of internal activity that perhaps the general public might not understand and interpret this as laziness. But we're going to see an agenda dedicated to that a very strong technical debate on top of the reforms, although I agree with Lucas, uh, approving those reforms will be tough. And also we're going to see the, the movement between the key players in the parliament focusing on the uh, the elections in the House and the Senate for next year. So there will be a lot of internal activities, and this enhances the importance of the uh, private uh, uh, partnerships that the Ministry of Infrastructure is working on, because this might be the origin of the biggest victory, of the potential biggest victory of the government in the year, because the Congress, they will be on a different dynamic, and on a dynamic that will demand a more skilled and technical approach from the executive. Um,
0: Thank you, thank you for that, both of you. Um, I have a couple questions, maybe, each one of you can take uh, one of them, but uh, Thiago, you brought up the succession in the lower house and the Senate, um, and I'd like to uh, ask you how, as outside viewers looking at Brazilian politics, how that election for the Speaker of the Lower House and the President of the Senate, um, what can we learn from from that process and from who is elected? and uh, if there are any front runners currently, uh, given the the current political climate. And then on the municipal elections, aside from reducing the window for legislative production, uh, how could outside observers uh, analyze the results of the municipal elections looking ahead at the 2022 presidential race?
1: Michael, uh, I'm going to jump on this one. I think that the Election for president of the House and president of the Senate in 2021 is still very open. Uh, There is some movement in the House by Rodrigo Maia, the current speaker, who cannot run again, that he might try to judicialize the issue in order to run again. But this is, uh, I'd say, unlikely at this point. And I believe that the new name will come from the Centrão, the big center, as we say here in Brazil. Uh, mainly because they are the the balance of power in Congress. When organized, they are almost unbeatable. And they have the backing of Rodrigo Maia himself, who was very keen on protecting some of their interests in these recent years where he has been President, Speaker of the House. There are a couple of names like Aguinaldo Ribeiro, Arthur Lira, uh, even the evangelical uh, congressman from the Evangelical Party, PRB, Uh, Marcos Pereira, who is a very skilled politician, former minister of trade for Michel Temer. But it's still very early to say. But if I were to uh, make a, a, a guess here, an educated guess, I think that it's most likely, very likely, that the name will come from the Centrão. But I believe that this, for next year, is something that will be discussed behind closed doors and will only come into the public agenda Towards the fourth quarter, once the elections uh, for the municipalities, the mayoral elections of October, are set in stone.
0: And, Thiago, how can we look at the municipal elections uh, with an eye on the 2022 presidential race?
2: Michael, they're critical for the 2022 race because the mayors, uh, they are the first base of action for the presidential candidates. Uh, and also for the congressmen that are trying to get elected or re-elected. So when the, the candidate, he looks at the map of the country and he identifies the areas in which he has the, the, the biggest number of allies uh, with, as mayors in this particular position, he knows that the strategy for that particular reason is one. It's basically... Uh, dissemination of of a specific message when he looks at areas of the country that his allies his his the mayors that are within his zone of influence are few he needs to act more uh, solidly he needs to be more presential and he needs to try to convince the local population uh, to to have some position uh, this is very interesting because this phenomenon is Occurs in many countries, as from this famous book by Tip O'Neill, all politics are local. In a way, this uh, also happens in Brazil. And knowing that all politics are local, the role of the mayors as the last drivers of the information to the daily lives of its citizens uh, is very important. And also, uh, it's a it's a way for the citizen to to. Uh, check and balance the popularity of the government through the alliances that they have in some particular cities.
0: Thanks, guys. Now, we've heard some rumors about possible changes to Bolsonaro's cabinet next year, or this year, I'm sorry, in 2020. Um, what, what is the current climate in the president's inner circle? And are we likely to see ch- big changes to the, uh, to the inner circle?
1: Michael, to the inner circle, I don't think so. I think the inner circle is pretty much consolidated at this point with uh, Minister Luiz Eduardo Ramos and Minister Jorge at the two cabinet positions uh, within the presidential palace a secretary of uh, government and general secretary of the presidency, respectively, uh, besides just Bolsonaro and his uh, closer advisors. The inner circle is also comprised of obviously the, the 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 friends of bolsonaro and his family like eduardo bolsonaro congressman eduardo bolsonaro and his two other sons carlos who's an alderman for rio de janeiro and Flávio bolsonaro who is a little bit more distant now given his investigation uh, that is currently undergoing so i don't see any major changes to the inner circle of the presidency if i had to guess an inner circle uh, an inner circle change i'd say a change maybe in the chief of staff of Onyx Lorenzoni, but this rumor has been going on for a while now uh, and uh, it's it's hard to say if it's reality or not if i uh, were to 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 mention ministers that are more likely to 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 be changed this uh, 2020 i'd mention the minister of mines and energy Bento Albuquerque who recently got into uh tense moments with Rodrigo Maia and Davio Columbre, the president of the House and the Senate, uh, and maybe the Minister of Tourism, who is also under an investigation, uh, but has resisted uh, in the position for the last months. The other key positions, like Paulo Guedes at the economy, Teresa Cristina as the Minister of Agriculture, and Sergio Moro as Minister of Justice, I think they are, at this point, very safe, uh, nearly untouchable, and only a black swan would take them out of their position. So I think that if there are changes, there will be, you know, just um, some some changes in the the in the face of the ministerial cabinet that doesn't change the outlook of this government nor the the influence within the inner circle.
0: Thank you, Lucas. Thank you for that. Uh, I have one last question. It's an open-ended question to close out this uh, first 2020 edition of our podcast. Uh, Maybe we could start with you, Thiago. What are the biggest risks in 2020?
2: The biggest risk for 2020 is a lack of management of expectation versus delivery. And this is something that the government was able to manage in in 2019 for several reasons, because it was the first year, because... They were members of the government were very active in the social media because the pension reform was approved. But in 2020, the entire dynamics is likely to change because the the expectation for results will be high, particularly the expectation for growth. Um, And this is likely to be delivered around 2.5% this year, which is satisfactory. Uh, the expectation for uh, dropping the rates of unemployment, the expectation for further victories in the, in, in the Congress, and, uh, and basically the general perception of the government. But the risk is uh, of sh- slowly the shift of priority, uh, shifting from enhancing a narrative in order to compensate the lack of results while the goal and the target should be precisely the opposite, to decrease the narrative and increase the focus on the results. And the government also must take care not to maintain the over-dependency of success at the Ministry of Economy, because uh, in the perspective of foreign investors, when a country, when the success of a country depends on the mindset of a specific group of individuals, instead of the entire structure, this creates uh, some uncertainty that uh, that inhibits further investments.
1: Mike, I'd further mention maybe uh, protests, but not civil society protests, but organized protests from specific sectors of society, such as truck drivers. We've seen the damage that they could do uh, they did in 2019 if uh, 2018 if i'm not mistaken when they paralyzed the country uh, a huge blow to the gdp chaos in the cities with uh, fuel not being found by citizens huge lines to 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 put fuel in the cars uh, it was a mess so i believe that this could be a risk something that the government has to closely monitor uh and negotiate uh with the truck drivers because the power that these guys have uh, given that almost 60 70% of goods in the country are transported through roads uh it's uh, quite unimaginable the power that the, the the this this category has another issue that i would see is obviously the black swan of the economy not performing as well as the projections expect uh, as i said before this will be a year of slow legislative activity that the government will have to will have to be very creative chago early on mentioned the the promising power the potential power of the concessions and the privatizations and the uh, not the privatization of the companies itself but the privatizations of airports and roads and railways and ports all these concessions that could bring a lot of money to the country, but the chronogram that this government made for for these concessions are almost all in the third and fourth quarter. So the government will have at least eight, nine months of a lot of creativity to be exercised since the Congress will be in a slow pace. And a lot of this goodwill that the government is expecting to have next year comes from just a general feeling that the economy is performing better if the economy fails to perform better for x number of reasons uh the government will have to to be creative uh to find new paths so i think that this is a uh a risk you know the co- economy not performing and the government maybe not having a plan b um uh, not because they don't want to have a plan b but because the the plan b's and c's and d's of this of this country goes through congress and in an electoral year this is very complicated so it's a a year that I believe that these two risks are to be managed and properly observed by the administration.
0: Thank you, Lucas, and thank you, Thiago, for the very uh, complete and in-depth answers on uh, risks for 2020. I'd just like to close by uh, noting a risk that uh, neither of you mentioned, and I think it's especially noteworthy, that it wasn't mentioned because it's something that uh, sometimes gets a lot of airplay, especially in foreign press. Uh, but neither of you mentioned the risk of a democratic break. And I think, uh, when, when people talk about risks to Brazil's democracy, I think they're undervaluing the solidity of our institutions and, uh, of our, of our democratic process. So I just like to make that note, uh, to close the, the podcast. Thank you to both of you. Thank you, Lucas, and thank you, Thiago. I think I speak for all three of us when I say it's glad to be back um, recording this podcast. And then uh, an especially uh, strong thanks to our listeners uh, for tuning in. Please tune in next week for more on Brazilian politics. Thank you, guys.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you.